And if you're a visitor this morning, um, visit the booth. We got a, a gift for you. And um, man, I, I feel a, a little tired after the first service. We had a gentleman who was really into the message this morning, and he was talking to me the whole time uh, I was preaching, and, and he was giving me these amens to points that I didn't even think were that strong. And I thought, yeah, that was a good point that I just made. Thank you. And, and so um, I, I may, I may uh, not be quite as energetic, or may, I may be, because I feel really excited that he was here. Um, yeah, amen. Yeah. <laughs> Woo, here we go. <laughs> um, well, what, oh, boy, it's going to be that kind of morning. Um, uh, yeah, I asked for it, so it's great. No, it's good. Hey, uh, Brad Knoll and the team did a great job de- decorating for VBS. We'll give them a hand. Um, he puts a lot of work in, into all that and uh, has some good people who volunteer and help. So if that was you this morning, thank you. Hey, um, one of the things that we do here, if you're, you're visiting, is we like to highlight a couple things in the church that are going on, make you aware of some stuff that uh, we're, we're celebrating. Um, <clears throat> one of them is we have a group of deacons that help people uh, with monetary needs. They help with services around the church, and they, they kind of help uh, alleviate the all, you know, they take care of all the nuts and bolts of ministry, if you will, so the pastors can shepherd and teach and study God's word and all of that. And so uh, they sent me an email this week just saying, hey, we, don't, we haven't been helping so many people lately. We, it's slow. We want to we wanna help some folks. Maybe they don't know about us. Uh, and so I wanted to make mention of them, let you know that uh, uh, they are available to help. And uh, m- m- many of them were here at the first service. I don't know how many are here at the second service. Do I have any deacons if you're in here this morning and I, and I don't see you? Uh, I don't see any of them here, so it's hard for you to, to take note of the deacons. So pretend they're here. There's imaginary people who help ministry at church. And, um, but they, uh, they, all of their um, uh, profiles and stuff are on the About page at sbctrucky.com. So uh, if you want someone to pray for you or you need some help with something uh, monetary-wise or, or uh, for instance, we're helping someone in the process of purchasing a car that's not something that they've ever done, and, and um, they have the money for it. They just need someone to, to make sure they get a good deal, right? That's what we're there for, to get good deals on cars. So um, at any rate, but helping those kind of, helping with people with those kind of things, that's kind of what they do. So uh, take note of that. And then uh, we have a new thing that we're launching here, a soft launch uh, we started it last week, and, and now we want to kind of make it official. And so I'm going to ask uh, Joe and Abby to come up and, and uh, discuss with you a new thing we're doing for our children's church uh, and our children's ministry next door. Really excited about this. And, and so uh, Abby's going to uh, be the mouthpiece this morning and share with you uh, what we're doing and uh, make note of it. So this is Abby. Hi, and I'm this Abby. is Joe. Um, okay. So uh, one of the things that we've been really excited about in Kids Church is the curriculum that we've been using. It's called Generations of Grace, and we started in Genesis, and the lessons just go right through the Bible. So right now we're in Exodus, and what I wanted to share with you this morning is that now we have a family devotional available uh, for families to build on what we do Sunday mornings. So when you go to the, well, it's going to be on the website every week and in the newsletters, so if you check it out, going, see? <laughs> um, so if you click on there, you can see, we click on it. If, if yes. Click oh, on there. Clicks. <laughs> the internet's hard. <laughs> Look at our nice website, though. <laughs> Go. 
Well. <laughs> it worked perfectly fine in the first service. <laughs> well, when you click on it, there's five days of devotions. So you'll be able to see the lesson that we did on Sunday and the passage that we went over. And then every day it gives you, oh, there you go. Um, so you can see day one right there, it gives you like another passage and a short explanation of what it is and then questions to ask and things that you can discuss with your kids. And then at the very end, there's a short preview of what we're going to learn about the following week. Uh, so this is for you guys to use however works best for you, either just as a review from what was on Sunday or you can get as deep as you want. Uh, so whatever works best for your family and uh, we are here to support you. So if you have any questions or need anything else from us, let us know. Thank you. So, um, Courtney, uh, if you'd pull the web page back up, and we'll see how many other technical difficulties we can. Uh, uh, so, um, so as they mentioned, the idea here is, is so you understand. I'll, I'll, I'm going to have you go somewhere in a minute. Um, the The job of raising your child according to the gospel and the Bible is the job of the parent. It's not the job of the church. So, the church is here to assist you as as parents and discipling your children and helping them grow closer to Jesus Christ. Uh, and, and we're partners with you in that. And so we want to, uh, we're launching this. It's going to come out, as she said, every single week. A new one will be launched based off of the Sunday uh, lesson that your kids went through. As she mentioned, go as deep or as basic as you want. And there's five days in there. My family would use this every morning. We would sit down and um, we would go through each day just as we're eating breakfast and discuss what the kids are learning. Uh, and if you have children, you'll, you'll probably be very surprised at what they're retaining next door. Joe and Abby are doing a tremendous job over there. Uh, and this is all part of a bigger package, just so you understand. We're, we're going to be launching some of you. Um, we want to encourage some of you this morning to be thinking about the September launch when we move our children's program into the 830 service in addition to the 1030. So there'll be uh, a children's church program at 830, which hasn't been the case, and also at 1030. And, and the reason for that is growth. Uh, if you look around right now this, this day, uh, we've got a few seats up here. No one wants to get spit on. So those will probably never get filled unless you're really brave, like these three beautiful ladies up front. And I apologize for what's going to come out this morning. And um, so it's growth. It's to get some of you, hopefully, maybe to go to the 830, create more room at the 830, more room at the 1030 and all that. Um, and so scroll to the very bottom there, Court. And if you go to the uh, bottom, you'll see the newsletter sign up. Uh, so keep going in that black section there. You'll see a line there that says sign up. That section there, that's how you get the newsletter each week. So if you're not getting the Sierra Bible Church newsletter, you can go on your phone right now. Go to sbctruckie.com, put your email in, and then the newsletter will be sent to you. In the newsletter will be the family devotions that will be sent out each week. And then if you don't want it in your email, because some people don't use that, you can just go to sbctruckie.com to the link that, uh, that was a little glitchy this morning, and um, the devotions will be there. Is that pretty cool or what? I think that's pretty awesome, pretty special. Yeah, praise the Lord. So we got some changes coming in September. Um, if you've been over there, if parents, if you went over there, you'll notice we're painting. Uh, we're redoing some things. It's kind of a mess, so um, be patient with us. Actually, it looks better than it did, even though it's not completely finished. And then we're uh, raising funds right now to try to replace the carpet. If you want to help with that, uh, just put that in your tithe check. Um, with that said, um, I had a dilemma last week. <clears throat> and the dilemma was I didn't cover everything that I anticipated covering out of Jonah chapter 2. And so... Um, I had this dilemma where this week I thought, okay, well, what am I going to do? I can either, A, I can move on from chapter 2, and we can go swim into chapter 3, and, or we can go diving back into chapter 2 with what was there. And so I had asked the, some of the uh, pastors and staff and, and, and my wife and said, hey, listen, 
this is my dilemma. What should I do? Because I had already, I've actually already started on material for chapter three, so it, it wasn't going to hurt me either way. I, I kind of was prepared for either path. And my wife said, you've got to go back into chapter two and cover that material. And since my wife is my wife, well, you've got to do what your wife says you've got to do. And, and then the rest of the staff said, yeah, you should go back and, and cover that material. And I shared with you last week how my wife, by way of devotions, because this is going to be devotions at sea part two, my wife... Uh, endeavored into uh, reading 66 books of the Bible in 66 days. That's been her devotion time. And so she's been plugging away at that. And I had someone this week actually uh, message me and say, more like Jonah chapter 2 for 66 days. Uh, And so um, I I don't want to be unapologetic about that. But as we dive into chapter 2, here's one of the reasons why I think it's important to keep swimming in this chapter. Um, Really, I think it's important because it's a chapter of prayer. Jonah is praying to God. He's recognizing that the distress in his life has been caused by God, that this passage really is the only way that Jonah can progress into chapter 3 to be on mission and reach people for God that have never been reached for God. And this is a passage that is dealing deep inside of Jonah's heart. And this morning, if you want God to work deep in you, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be hinged on prayer. And, and really to spend three weeks, because this will be the third week that we've been in chapter 2, uh, is no small thing. I would say to us as a church, we need to have a greater heart and a greater appreciation for prayer. And, and as one pastor was told before, he is a guy, he got hired, and, and uh, he preached the, what seemed to be the same message for several weeks. And after preaching the same message for several re- weeks, an elder, a leader came up to him in the church and said, you keep preaching the same message, when are you going to move on? And he says, when the church gets it, I'm going to move on. Uh, and so I kind of feel a little bit like that, not to rebuke you or reprove you, but but I do feel like our church, uh, knowing even for myself, we could use a greater heart for prayer and speaking to God and being in the presence of God and allowing God to work in our heart. So um, we, we want to be in a place where we're allowing God to do a work in us and not be so concerned with what's happening around us, right? So most of us read chapter 2, and we just become enthralled with this idea that Jonah is inside of a whale, He's inside of a great fish. And what is that like? And you'll see in here that Jonah's expression is an attitude of thanksgiving in this prayer because he's been saved from drowning. The belly of the whale, to him, represents salvation. He's now in the belly. He's been saved. And if you take note this week, you'll see something that we haven't seen in the previous weeks, and that is that his prayer is like, God, thank you that I'm no longer tangled in seaweed. Thank you that I'm not drowning. Uh, Has anyone in the room ever had an experience of almost drowning or feeling like you're drowning. Uh, I've had, as a kid, I remember my grandfather saved me, my, the Texas grandfather that I've talked about before. He was really upset that his boots got wet and, um, when he dragged me out of the water. And, um, and I remember one time I, I had a, a, a gal friend who was drowning in the ocean, and I couldn't save her, so I had to send someone with a, a, a little raft to save her. Boy, she was really freaked out and unappreciative of the way I handled the situation. Um, and uh, it's, a, it's a scary experience. So... Jonah's really in this place where he's like, man, thank you, God, I'm no longer drowning, and I'm in the belly. So um, we're going to deepen, again this week, our heart and our desire to be in communion with God. Jonah has run from the presence of God, and now he's being brought back into the presence of God. So Jonah chapter 2, if you don't have a Bible this morning, uh, just raise your hand, and uh, Dave here would love to give you a Bible, uh, or uh, we got a guy here on the other side too. Um, Mike is his name. 
just call him Guy. Uh, and then, if you would, stand with me if you're able to this morning as we honor God's Word for the reading of God's Word. <clears throat> Chapter 2, verse 1. You're going to be really familiar with it if you've been here all three weeks. Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me in the deep. It's an important line, for it was the sailors that cast him over into the boat. Now he's recognizing that it was God who did it. Into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Right? He, he's feeling this sense of drowning. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you and to your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake hope, forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I with a voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. God, we ask for your word to do what only your word can do. Mold us, transform us, move us deeper into a relationship with you. Do work down deep into our hearts that we know can only be accredited to the God of heaven, the God of the sea, and the God of the dry land. We trust you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, everyone said? Amen. You may be seated. One of the things I want you to see in prayer is the reality of how a thanksgiving or a heart full of thanksgiving towards God's forgiveness can empower your prayer life. The reality of God forgiving you in spite of you. Jonah, in fact, in this chapter, in verse 6, he says, you brought my life out of the pit. He's recognizing that God has saved him from this drowning experience, that God is still pursuing Jonah, that God still loves Jonah. In order for our prayer life to be enlightened, we must see the great need and the great desire that we have for God's forgiveness and God's grace. Sometimes what we need in order to understand God's forgiveness and grace and mercy in our life is a deeper theological understanding of the depravity that you carry within your own heart. If we don't have a great attitude of thanksgiving, it's probably because you don't have a great understanding of how fallen you are, how egotistical you can be, how self-centered your life can be, how everything in your life you, you have a tendency to make revolve around you. In fact, when you got up this morning, I'm pretty sure the first thing you did was you looked in the mirror at your face and you brushed your teeth. I hope. You combed your hair, you showered your body, you put on your clothes. Everything you did this morning most likely surrounded around you. If you have children, don't interact with me quite yet. I have not had my coffee. Now, if you're like my wife, that may not be true. Oftentimes, with young children, you cannot do what you want to do when you want to do it. Your kids can be this moment of interruption. What they should rather be is a moment of ministry. A moment to love your kids, to not be focused on self. But sometimes to understand God's great forgiveness, there has to be an understanding of your great sin. And Jonah is finally understanding, I think, to a degree, inside the belly of the whale, the great sin that he has. 
Remember, Jonah chapter 2 is called the Psalm of Jonah. Jonah is reaching into many of the Psalms, reflecting many of the Psalms that have been written. He's praying the Psalms, another great tactic to prayer. In Psalm chapter 40, verse 1, the psalmist writes this, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and he heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction. Notice the same language Jonah uses. I've been brought from the pit. Out of the miry bog, he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song, it says in the Psalms, a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Same with Jonah. Jonah chapter 2, verse 9. What does Jonah say? He says, what I have vowed, I will promise. Salvation belongs to the Lord. This is a new song for Jonah. Up to this point, salvation basically has belonged to Jonah. Jonah has decreed who will be saved and who will not be saved. Now in the belly, he realizes in this new song that he cannot dictate who God desires to save, who God wants to bring to salvation, but salvation belongs to one person in particular, and that one person happens to be Almighty Yahweh. To this, all of us should sing praises, that you are not in charge of your own salvation. You are not in charge of who will be saved. You will not dictate who will come to Jesus. Jesus will make sure that those who are to be saved will be saved. He's a God of guarantees, not a God of what ifs. So he sings this new song in his mouth. And as he goes on in the psalm, note he then says in this chapter, verse 40, chapter 40, many will see and fear and put trust in the Lord. We're going to see this in chapter 3 soon. Many in Nineveh will put their trust into God. There's a pattern in Psalm 40. There's a pattern throughout Scripture. There's probably a pattern in your own life. There's a tendency to not wait on God. There's a tendency to not pray. There's a tendency to ignore God. Then God allows uh, some kind of uh, distress, some kind of harsh reality to press in on your life. And your natural response is anyone's response as they're staring that tragedy in the eye is to finally cry out to God. Dear God, help me. God hears the cry of his people, drives them, draws them out of that pit of destruction, that miry bog, sets your feet on new land. You now praise him again. You now have a new song in your voice. And then and only then are you able to reach other people for Jesus. This is the reality of Jonah. It's the reality for you and I. And this reality becomes deeper when we understand that God has forgiven us and still hears our prayer in the midst of our own sin. Someone made note a few weeks ago. They said to me, you know, Jesse, we oftentimes in the church, we have uh, an ability or we do a good job of, of preaching about how our sin affects our relationship with God and how our sin can affect our, our, our walk with ourselves and maybe even other people. But what we don't always talk about is the sin that's commi been committed against us. Can we just be clear on the reality of the forgiveness of God and the healing that God brings to his people? God has the ability to forgive you of your own, what I like to say, I don't think the Bible necessarily says it this way, but of your own stupidity. Most of you are more educated than me, apparently. He, for, he forgives us for the ways that we ignore God. He forgives us for the ways that we're self-centered. But at the same time, God has the ability to forgive those people who have persecuted you, hurt you, sinned against you. And not just to forgive those people, but he has the ability to heal you of the sins committed against you. Sin works in two different ways, does it not? It works in the ways where you fracture your relationship with other people and you fracture your relationship with God himself. But it also works in the same sense that when someone has done that to you, that relationship has been fractured 
And God can mend that and heal that. If you're here this morning and you've had a parent not treat you right, you've had somebody abuse you physically, you've had somebody abuse you emotionally, verbally, or some other form of sin, God has the ability to fix that, to mend it, to heal it, and then to use that particular issue that has happened in your life to give God glory in another area of your life. This forgiveness of God's sin, the way that it works in all kinds of different directions, should increase our reality of prayer. Forgive us our debts, Jesus says as he teaches the disciples. Forgive us, of, forgive us of the ways that we've sinned, God. In the Old Testament, there's a word that's used for, for the way that God passes over sin. It's the word nasa, which literally means to, means to send away. Right? The, the priest would bring what was called basically a scapegoat, place the sins in a prayer on that scapegoat of God's people, send that scapegoat to the wilderness, never to be seen again, to be sent away into the desert, into the wild place where a bear or a wolf or some other animal would probably devour it, for that goat to never be seen. Another Old Testament word for the forgiveness of sin is that God would maha or wipe away our sin. Our youngest, David, my wife has told me not to use our children as an example so often, but she's not here this morning, so don't tell me. <laughs> he has the ability. I don't know how he does it. It's, it's, a, it's a miraculous thing. Not even two years old, and somehow, way, he finds the only pen, the only marker, the only crayon that somebody left out. Said David, grabs the pen, grabs that little marker, grabs whatever it is, and decides in his wisdom to create a piece of art on one of the walls. It happens so often that I've had to get a Costco supply of magic erasers. You familiar with those? It's a parent's best friend. Literally, there once was a piece of artwork, and then through just a few wiping away, it's clean. The wall, fresh and new again. Maha, God has the ability to wipe away your sin. Micah 7.19 actually says that God has the ability to cast your sin into the depths of the sea. This again echoes of Jonah as Jonah's sin has taken him to the bottom of the sea where his sin will be left at the bottom of the sea, which points us to the greater Messiah who went into the depths of the earth and took the depths of your sin into the earth to never be seen again. It's the same image of, image of baptism. When we're baptized, we go into the water. It's the example that, that in the water our sin is dunked. That's why uh, Brad, I think, in the first service said some of you need to be held down longer than others. <laughs> Just to make sure we get it all. <laughs> and then resurrected out of the water is a new person. We know there's nothing magical in baptism, that, it, that it's, it's the visual example of what Jesus has done on the cross. He has taken your sin into the grave, that that sin would die and be no longer remembered, as it says in Jeremiah 31. It tells us in Isaiah that the, the way that sin stains us and soils us can be bleached white by God. In addition to that, and the greatest fact in Ephesians chapter 2 is that, that God, through his forgiveness, has a way of reconciling us, bringing us back into fellowship with himself. This is exactly what's occurring to Jonah. He has sinned. He has rebelled. He is a sinning prophet. He has ran from the presence of God. And in God's goodness, he has hurt Jonah because he wants to save Jonah. So he takes Jonah, puts him in the belly of the whale to bring Jonah back into fellowship with God. Again, is this not the typical thing that God does for us? 
that he will drag us into a miry, difficult situation to bring us back into a right relationship where we will begin to actually pray to God. I think God is smiling at Jonah as Jonah is finally doing what God has always wanted Jonah to do, pray. In addition to this, we see that in spite of God's judgment, this is number two. Number one is the great forgiveness we can feel and know and understand in prayer. And number two is that God hears and answers us in spite of his own judgment. Jonah is under God's judgment. The reason that this whale has come upon him is because he's being judged by God. But notice that in the Christian's life, judgment is never to punish. It's always redemptive. See, if you're a child of God, God will discipline you, bring you under some kind of judgment to correct you, to mend you, to heal you, and to bring you into right relationship with himself. Are you familiar with Hebrews chapter 12? What does the great passage say? For the Lord disciplines, he disciplines the ones that he loves. He chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God, listen carefully now. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying that if God does not discipline you when you do something wrong, it's not because he's okay with your sin, it's because you're not actually one of his children. I heard a little. This thing? How many of you know great Christians? How many of you are that great Christian? I hope it's you this morning. Whenever you do something wrong, you can't get away with it. Have you known people like that? Are you one of those people? Because if you're God's children, you do something wrong, and God doesn't just let it slide. There's something that happens. There's a consequence. And, and, and so when God brings the distress upon your life, the whale is not meant to punish Jonah. The whale is to redeem Jonah. In the same way that we as parents discipline our children, knowing that that discipline is to correct their life, that they would continue to live a good life, a happy life, a fun-filled life, a joy-filled life. You know if you're a parent, some of the things you discipline them is so they won't die. It's like my constant fear whenever we go to the beach. Go, Do you enjoy going to the beach with your kids? No, not really. <laughs> Why not? I'm trying to keep them alive the whole time. And then when you're a church the size we are and you've got all these kids running around, then you all go to the beach together and you're worried about everybody else's kids. I told Russell Grant yesterday, we were at West End Beach and when a couple of his kids were out on a little floaty just a little too far and I said, you okay with that? And he goes, you be in lifeguard? And I'm kind of. Stresses me out. I don't want him to die. We know and we understand and we recognize as parents, if we are earthly parents who do this, and Hebrews says this to the T. Chapter 12, verse 9, besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of the spirits and, and live? He asked the question. It's a question mark there. Should we not respect and honor God's work and discipline in our lives that we should live? He's making the contrast between the imperfect discipline 
of an imperfect father and then the perfect discipline of a heavenly father. God knows exactly what you need in regards to your discipline to redeem you and to save you. But you have to recognize you're a child. You don't know life, reality, and the future and all of the complex emotions in life like God does. So when God chastises us, we should never go, Who, what, what do you think you're doing? Which is what typically I get from my children. Are you sure this is the right response, Dad? No, but I'm going to go with it anyway. It goes on in Hebrews. It says in the same chapter, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later... It yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. The passage goes on to then encourage us in regards to God's discipline and that the reality of this discipline transforming us into God's holiness to be more like God back in the presence of God. And then in the, in the same chapter, it says, Make straight your paths for your feet so what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. And prior to that, it says, Lift up your drooping hands. And strengthen your feeble knees. Like a child, don't, don't mourn the discipline, but see it as God's redemptive hope in your life. In spite of his judgment, he hears you. Why? Because his judgment for you is redemptive. Which leads me to the reality of how there are two tensions in prayer, especially when God is judging and molding and shaping us into his image. One side of prayer is the peaceful side of prayer. Are you familiar with how this works? Right, Jesus, in fact, speaking of prayer, says, Come to me, all of you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight. In addition, it also says, Be anxious for nothing, but let your requests be, be made known to God, and the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Philippians chapter 4. Come talk with God, come sit with God, and experience his rest. But the other side of prayer, which gets overlooked, is the wrestling side of prayer. We have the restful side of prayer, and we have this wrestling side of prayer. Jesus said in Luke 13, 24, strive, strive to enter by the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. You know that word strive literally means to agonize, to wrestle, to struggle. As Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, I have fought the good fight. I have battled. And I think the reality that for us as Christians is we don't actually experience the great rest of prayer because we never actually wrestle in prayer. We don't fight with God in prayer. What do I mean by that? What I mean is typically most of us, the, the, our prayer life is, is really just aimed at one thing. Thank you, Jesus, for this meal that I'm about to partake. Amen. And there is your prayer life. There's no rest in that. There's no peace in that. There's, there's no wrestling in that. See, Jonah's in the belly of the whale, I believe. Uh, he's, uh, to a degree, in this prayer, he's wrestling with God. Salvation is of yours, Lord. He's, he's coming to a place where he has wrestled with God, in addition, in chapter 1. And even in chapters 3 and 4, we'll see he's still wrestling with God. He doesn't want to reach the people in Nineveh. But he knows that this is what God wants him to do. Are you with me this morning to understand that, that there has to be some work we commit in prayer? Have you ever heard something, man, praying is really hard. Yeah, it's supposed to be. That's why when the disciples come to Jesus and they say, Lord, 
teach us to pray. You know what's lost on us? The men who asked Jesus how to pray were devout Jewish men. They've been taught how to pray their entire lives. But they saw something in the way in which Jesus prayed that was unique. And so after being taught all their lives how to pray, they finally see what a real prayer-filled life looks like, and they say to Jesus, teach us now how to pray like you pray. They saw something connected to the power and the, and the walk that Christ had that they too wanted to have, and they knew it was connected somehow to an intimate walk with Jesus Christ. Again, chapter 2 is defined by most Christians as a chapter where we look at Jonah and we become enthralled in the vision of a man sitting inside a belly of a great fish. And we ask all of these great questions. How does a man live in a belly for three days and three nights? How does he go to the bottom of the oceans? Was his skin bleached white when he was rejected from the whale? Who knows? Who cares? What's important is what God is doing in the heart of Jonah. What's important is what God is doing in the heart of you. Do you desire God to do a deep work in your life? Do you desire God to answer great prayers in your life? Then one must wrestle with God in prayer. And the aim of wrestling in prayer is to come to a place of rest. One pastor says, the main aim of our wrestling is rest. And God not in money or position or looks or achievement. The aim of our wrestling is to rest in the promises of God and not in the promises of sin. Hopefully this morning there's a deeper desire that is welling up within you from the strength of the Spirit to enter into whatever belly it may be, whatever closet it may be, whatever room it may be, to sit with God and come into the presence of God and to do the wrestling that is necessary to experience the rest of God. Wrestling in prayer is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. In addition, we learn, this is point number three, God hears and answers our prayer in the impossible. Has this ever been the case for you? That God has the ability to do something impossible? In fact, if you're anything like me, I'm, I've done one of those personality tests. Anybody ever do those personality tests? I'm a, on one of them, I'm called the, my, my title, they give you a name, is the logistician. Which means basically I, I'm a logic thinker, I, I like bullet points, I like, to, I like to look at things in a linear fashion and lists and check boxes and all that kind of fun stuff. And, and so my prayer life typically in some kind of situation, I'll, I'll pray to God and as I'm praying to God, I will logistically think it through. I'm like, okay, God, these are your options now. I know because this is what I see. Option A, option B, option C. Which one is it? It's like Z. It's not A, it's not B, it's not C. In fact, what I've learned as I've played that game with God is if I make a list, all that does is guarantee that it's not going to be A, it's not going to be B, and it's not going to be C. So I've learned to just pray and try not to be logic at all. Thus, I actually remove somehow my option of B from the list. We have a desire to want God to answer things in the way that we want to. Same pastor writes, it would be a terrible thing to fall overboard and be left behind when the sea is placid. How much worse to be thrown into a raging storm with 20 or 30 foot waves and feel yourself sucked so deep you know you're done for. And if that were not enough, as you struggle towards the air, you hit a mass a mass of seaweed, and it tangles all around your head and neck. It is a terrifying scene. God let the circumstances become impossible before he delivered Jonah. Are you with me this morning? Just take a look, take an understanding that God will actually put you in a predicament that seems impossible to come out of, so that way you will finally come to a place of prayer. Is that 
absolutely not true for you? If you were a child of God, have you not been put into a place, put into a corner where it seems there's no escape, there's no way out, only for God to answer it in a way that you never thought it would be answered before? Genesis 18, 13, do you remember this? When the Lord said to Abraham, hey, Abraham, you're going to have children. And, and Sarah and Abraham are so taken back because they're too old to have kids. And it actually says in Genesis 18 that Sarah laughed. I'm going to have kids? I'm like 500 years old. And the Lord says to her, why did Sarah laugh? God responds, what's so funny? And then in Genesis 18, 14, God says, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is there anything that's too hard for God? Is there anything in your life that you think God simply won't do, cannot do? He can do it. In fact, I've been challenged in my own life, maybe because at times I, I've been too conservative in my theology, but I, I've walked into the hospital room and prayed for people who were losing their life, literally going to die soon, or entering into some kind of cancer treatment to pray a prayer like this, Lord, let your will be done. God, in the surgery, would you guide the surgeon's hands? When in reality, the best prayers are, let's just, let's just rely on the reality, God, heal. God, bring healing. God, do the impossible. Right? If you take a, a look at Christianity across the globe, you will find that there are, are more miraculous things happening, more people coming to Jesus Christ in countries where it is impossible for faith to go out. You say to yourself, how in the world, how in the world is the gospel growing in China? Because then and only then can we look and go, well, God. God. How in the world are Muslims getting saved without any Christian missionaries there? God! And we get lost in this reality that God can, wants to, do the impossible, so we finally turn ourselves to an act of prayer and praise. Lord, thank you for doing the impossible. We should be encouraged. We should be challenged. Jesus himself said to the disciples when they asked in regards to how in the world does... Well, let me just read it to you. The disciples were amazed at his words. Jesus said to them, Children, how difficult it is to enter into the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter into the kingdom. The disciples have a natural reaction. It says in verse 26 of Mark 10, they were exceedingly astonished at this saying. And they said to Jesus, who can be saved? Do you understand? They hear what God is saying. They hear what Jesus is saying. And their response is, who's going to heaven then? They basically saw this illustration as the reality that nobody's going to go to heaven. And then Jesus responds the way that Jesus responds. He looked at him and said, with man it's impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible. With God. Isn't that a beautiful thing? It speaks to the reality that Jonah is being told to go reach a people group who are not Israelites. They are not God-fearing people. They are the opposite of that. How would they ever get saved? And they're going to get saved. I hate to ruin the story for you. In the same way for us as we pray for our church at Seer Bible Church and we say to ourselves, we desire for God to reach people who are not like us. At the same time, we rejoice that God has the ability to bring people who aren't like us in the same room and to still fellowship with one another and enjoy each other's company. In this room, some of you are monetarily poor. Praise God. In this room, some of you are monetarily rich. And yet you're all on the equal playing field. 
All of us are sinners. All of us are broken. All of us have sinned against somebody. All of us have been sinned against. All of us carry pain. All of us have baggage, if you will. And all of us have been given the same promise of Jesus Christ. All of us are full of depravity. All of us are in need of salvation. Next door, we have, we have this little border, this little boundary that sits between Sierra Bible Church and the apartments next door. Do we not? Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. Some of you do. There's a fence. And across that way are several young Hispanic families or families with many Hispanic children. And we have found ourselves over the last two years through God's efforts and through people who have stepped up to reach that those kids are coming and they're hanging out here this week. This week, for instance, we were all in the office. We were studying and 10 kids came over here and they were hanging out with John and Jim Mathias and these kids are just running around and, and uh, we had an instance where uh, they ate too much of our candy. Right? And there was a little bit of like, oh, I can't. They come, they come over here and they eat our candy. That candy is for Sunday mornings. That's for people at the info booth. You can't eat our candy. Okay? How dare you? So I brought the staff all together and I said, listen, let's not lose sight of what we're called to do. Having those kids interrupt our workday and our study time is the gospel. They are not like us and they need Jesus. That's the gospel. Let's rejoice that God is bringing people who aren't like us into our church. Let us praise God that if God starts to press into the borders of Sierra Bible Church, that we need to rearrange what we do because God happens to be reaching more Hispanics, then we're just going to raise our arms and say, God, thank you for doing the impossible. You know, there are people who may say, well, I don't, I don't know. Forgive me for being a little, a little harsh here, but, you know, I don't know. I, we might, let's, uh, that's kind of uncomfortable. And, well, God saves people who are going to be thankful for their salvation. Are you with me this morning? Thankful for God's forgiveness. Thankful for God's washing us clean. God wants to do the impossible. And sometimes we look across the way, and I'm just being honest, we look at those apartments to a certain degree as our own Nineveh. We have for years fought and strategized and prayed, God, how would you use SBC to reach the Hispanic community? And then God takes somebody like Jim Mathias to reach the Hispanic community? He's not a Mexican. He's a long-bearded, rock-rolling star kind of guy. He's, he is a, told you, told you a few weeks ago, right, that I shared about how, some about Jim and how he'd been working and not getting paid for certain things and someone, someone after the service gave Jim 20 bucks. <laughs> he was so thrilled. He came up to me after church and he was totally unashamed. He goes, somebody gave me 20 bucks. You know why that's important? Because Jim's going to take that $20 and he's going to buy donuts with it for those kids. Somebody a couple years ago, they, they paid for a year's worth of donuts. I think we're at the end of that. And he takes those donuts every time he gets together and he gives those kids donuts. And you know those kids aren't always super thankful for it. But here's the question. Are you always thankful for your salvation? And is he still giving you donuts? Am I right? We're not thankful. We don't do as we ought. And God still blesses us. We don't do things based on the condition of, well, are they thankful? Right? Well, are you thankful? Because I guarantee you, you're not thankful as you ought to be. 
This goes back to the goodness and the grace of God. He hears in the impossible. He does the impossible. He's a God of the impossible. Nothing is too hard for God. And so we pray for God to put the difficult situations in our life, that we would wrestle in prayer, that we would see God do the impossible, and then we would find rest in prayer, peace in prayer, peace in our relationship with God. Which leads me to my fourth point, verse 10 of chapter 2. God just happens to hear right on time. Does God ever answer when you want him to? One quote here says, Jonah was still praying without an answer in sight just before he blacked out. In fact, he probably did black out and regained conscious several days later, realizing he'd been spared in the belly of a fish. God often answers our prayers in the 11th hour. You know, as Christians, when we typically pray, we usually are okay with two of God's options when he prays. When we pray. Option one, God, if I pray, Lord, let it be a yes. We love that, don't we? God, give me a bonus. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord. That's when we sing, right? Give it, let it be a yes. And then, you know what? We're even okay with a no. Because at least then we get an answer. God, give me a bonus. No. All right. Fine. You know what we absolutely are not okay with? Wait. No, that one I'm not okay with, Lord. Patience. Maxwell says anxiety is the, is the slave song of the human heart under the tyranny of insignificance. Impatience is an acute strand of anxiety played in a certain key that can mesmerize and trap a soul in the innate loop of hypnotized idolatry. With each heartbeat, drops of innocent desire increasingly become a torrent of violent mania accruing simple words with vast jurisdiction. I want it. I want it all. I want it all now, right now. Do you know, do you not realize, do you not understand that oftentimes God's answer most likely will be wait? Because in prayer, God's purpose is to mold you and shape you into his image. And we live in a culture that teaches you everything right now. If you don't believe me, let me just ask you, how's your internet connection? Because the moment the power goes out, and we have to deal with the slower internet connection or the AT&T dial-up connection, who wants to go back to... You remember those days? Some of you are too young to remember. Let me tell you. Impatience. When was the last time? Some of you were vegetarian, so you can't relate to this. You went to a fast food restaurant, and your burger wasn't up in 45 uh, seconds. It took five minutes. Oh, my gosh, five minutes at McDonald's. This is ridiculous. Well, they want more than minimum wage, oh, my. Am I the only one? You're going to leave me on that island? <laughs> All by myself? You can ask Pastor Brad. You can ask Jim Matthias. We, we go out to lunch on various occasions to fellowship and, and talk, you know, biblical shop. And, and I'm always the first to order, and I'm always the last one to get my order. They'll tell you. It's just, it's like God knows, Jesse, I'm your good father, and, and you need the discipline of patience, and therefore your food will come later. <laughs> and it does, inevitably, without fail, almost every single time. Like, I've come to the place where I've just accepted it. I'm just waiting. 
But see, the reality in prayer to be shaped into God's heart, God is the opposite of the consumeristic culture. Therefore, he says, you're going to wait because I'm going to mold you into my image. Are you willing to wrestle through your impatience? You sit down and you pray. How many of you have done this? I prayed for 20 minutes and I didn't hear anything. What a waste of time. We don't sit. We're not patient. So we don't rest. Here's Jonah in the belly of the whale. He has no idea. It's going to be three days and three nights. He's not sure exactly how long. But in the impossible, God answers, and God answers exactly on time, right before he's about to pass out. And then, <laughs> Jonah's now on solid ground. Jonah now is at a place where he understands he has a mission for God. And only then can we move from chapter 2 to chapter 3. We cannot just flippantly pass through this idea of prayer and what God does in prayer and then expect God to use us to be missional evangelists in a culture that is anti-God and increasingly more becoming anti-God. In order for us to be used by God, we have to go to the heart of God. We don't need better sermons. We don't need more Bibles. We don't need more commentaries. You don't need another podcast. You need to sit with your maker. And you need to allow your maker to influence you in prayer, to mold you and to shape you and to transform you into something that you cannot be on your own, to give you the kind of power that Christ had. And when our church finally gets that, we will transform Truckee, California to be what it is that Christ wants it to be. But let it not be lost on us that God doesn't want us just to be missional to Truckee, just to be missional to Tahoe. He wants you to be missional to one another in this room right now. Can I just share something that's truth here? There are people in this room who are not saved. I'm just going to let it hang for a little bit. We have a mission here. You know one of the greatest influences we can have as a church? Is to pour into those kids next door. His future church. That they would be saved. Moms, if you're at home, can I just tell you your greatest contribution to the gospel is to teach your children to love Jesus. And there are several moms in here who are like, I'm glad somebody said it. It's true. I've seen people come through the church. And can I just be clear on something else? If you're single, you are a gift to the church. Do you know that? So, whoa, what? The Bible says it. The, some of the single ladies up here, right? You're like, oh, right here, single. Single. Thanks for mentioning that. Somebody... So it's not just so it's not just me. <laughs> what does the Bible say about singleness? The Bible says that being single is a gift. And that you, if you stay single, that you have the ability to just focus on the gospel. It's okay and even beneficial to be single. And we praise God for those who are single. At the same time, those of us who are who may be single. We don't look down or demean the fact that the family is an important part of God's plan to change the world. 
families should value their families. Singles should value the idea of family. And those of us who are married and have kids should never look down and go, well, how come you're not married yet? (laughs) These girls up front are killing me, man. (laughs) It's totally okay to be single. I'll just preach to you this morning. (laughs) It's going to be all right. I promise. I've lost track here. God answers with a yes or a no or a later. But it's important for us to understand that every single person in this room, every single one of us who've been called a child of God, God desires to use you to expand his kingdom. And God wants us to be on a mission to reach people in the church who aren't saved because you are here this morning, and I am speaking to you, and I am letting you know that Christ wants to bring you back. That's true for you. And some of you have known Christ, and you've ran from him, and he wants you back. God wants to use the people of this church to better our community, the place that you work, the families you're involved in. And he wants to use you to help change and mold and shape each other in this room into his image and to do the same thing for those kids next door. God has given us a unique gift. This is not a sideline sport, Christianity. You are to participate. Some of you say, I'm I'm not mature enough. Neither am I. (laughs) Somehow I ended up being the lead guy. When people used to ask me, are you ready to take over the church? And I would just respond with, you know, that's the same question people used to ask me when I got married. Are you ready to get married? And same thing when I had kids. Are you ready to have kids? I've got four kids right now, four of them. And if you came up to me and said, are you ready to have kids? My answer would be no. (laughs) I'm still not ready to be married. (laughs) The idea is not being ready. The idea is understanding whose strength you lean on. You don't lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways you acknowledge him, and he will guide your paths. Do you feel like you don't know what you're doing? Welcome to the club. Pray, (laughs) pray, and let God work. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we um, come before you this morning, and we admit in so many ways we have run from you as Jonah has. But we also recognize there's a lesson here that you will bring distress in our life, a hardship or some kind of reality to force us into the throne room, into the prayer room, room, Lord. I pray it wouldn't take a difficult situation for us to do that. Instead, that we would come to a heart of thanksgiving for what we do have. As Jonah says, with a voice of thanksgiving, I'll sacrifice to you. I pray that we would be thankful for what we have, not what we don't have. That we wouldn't ask for more, we would ask for the reality of what you have given us to an understanding of the more that we already possess. Do work in us this morning, Lord. Don't let us leave here without you solidifying it with deep down into our hearts. We trust you for it. In Jesus' name.